Hi, everyone, and welcome to A Mighty Blaze Podcast. It's great to have you with us. I'm your host, Trisha Blanchett. A Mighty Blaze connects writers and readers in the age of COVID and beyond, and we're thrilled to offer interviews with authors from every background, fiction and nonfiction, from eagerly anticipated debuts to bestsellers and living legends. In today's episode, we have the pleasure of welcoming both an established writer and a debut author in a fascinating conversation about racial identity, the Latinx immigrant experience, and the importance of standing up for yourself and valuing your own skills and struggles. Angie Cruz is an associate professor at the University of Pittsburgh and the best-selling author of three novels, Dominicana, Let It Rain Coffee, and Soledad. NBC News called her book Dominicana one of the most evocative and empowering immigrant stories of our time. Jennifer DeLeon is an assistant professor at Framingham State University, whose debut YA novel, Don't Ask Me Where I'm From, was released during the height of the pandemic in 2020. Her second book, White Space, Essays on Culture, Race, and Writing, came out just a few months later, in March 2021. So let's settle in and enjoy the conversation as I pass the Blaze torch to a Mighty Blaze host, Jane Roper, and her two very special guests, Angie Cruz and Jennifer DeLeon. Hi, everyone. Welcome to A Mighty Blaze Celebrity Conversations. So happy to have you here today on a special time on Friday afternoon. We are thrilled to have with us Angie Cruz, author of Dominicana, among other things. And she's going to be in conversation with the wonderful Jennifer DeLeon, author of a brand new uh, debut novel, Don't Ask Me Where I'm From. Welcome to both of you ladies. So happy to have you here today. Thank you. Yeah. It's glad you're here. Um, so I will give some brief intros to each of you, and then I'm going to turn it right over to you, Angie, to get things rolling as you chat with Jen. I know you guys have lots to talk about. Um, and I'm excited to eavesdrop. Anyone who is watching right now, welcome, first of all. And if you have questions that you want to throw out to the authors, please feel free. Um, we also have our associate producer who will be in the chat stream. So if you have questions about the author's books or where to get them and all that, she'll be providing all kinds of helpful info for you. So without further ado, I will introduce you guys. Um, so first, Angie Cruz. Angie is a New York-born Dominicana who traveled to and from New York City to the DR for most of her formative years. She's the author of three, three novels, Soledad, Let It Rain Coffee, and her newest novel, Dominicana, published in fall of 2019. Dominicana was the inaugural book pick for the Good Morning America Book Club. Very cool. Uh, and was named a most anticipated or best book in 2019 by Time, Newsweek, People, Oprah Magazine, The Washington Post, The New York Times, and Esquire. Wow, it's incredible. Um, New York Times Book Review called it lovely and compelling. NBC News said, Dominicana is a triumphant return for Cruz. The journey of Ana Cancion is one of the most evocative and empowering immigrant stories of our time. 
Cruz is the recipient of numerous fellowships and residencies, including the Lighthouse Fellowship, Siena Art Institute, and the CUNY Dominican Studies Institute Fellowship. She's published shorter works in the Paris Review, VQR, Callaloo, Gulf Coast, and other journals. She's the founder and editor-in-chief of the award-winning literary journal, Asterix. She's an associate professor at University of Pittsburgh, where she teaches in the MFA program and splits her time between Pittsburgh, New York, and Turin. Turin, Switzerland? Is that where Turin is? Turin, Italy. Oh, Turin, Italy, right. Okay, wow, that's pretty cool. All right, well, welcome, Angie. Glad to have you here. Nice. Failed my geography class. <laughs> that was embarrassing. Jennifer DeLeon. Born in the Boston area to Guatemalan parents, Jen DeLeon is an author, editor, speaker, and creative writing professor. She is the editor of Wise Latinas, Writers on Higher Education. She was the 2015-2016 Writer-in-Residence at the Boston Public Library and a 2016-2017 City of Boston Artist-in-Residence. She's also the second recipient of the We Need Diverse Books Grant. Jen's short story, Home Movie, was the 2015 One City, One Story pick as part of the Boston Book Festival. And her stories and essays have appeared in over a dozen literary magazines and anthologies, including Plowshares, Iowa Review, Michigan Quarterly Review, Guernica, and Women's Best, Tra Best Women's Travel Writing. Jennifer's debut novel is Don't Ask Me Where I'm From. Booklist calls it energetically paced boundary pushing novel that raises important questions of race, identity, belonging, true friendship, and how to stand up for a cause you believe in. New York Times bestselling author Celeste Eng calls Don't Ask Me Where I'm From a funny, perceptive, and much needed book telling a much needed story. Welcome, Jen. It's so nice to see you. And congratulations on your book. Thanks, Jane. Sure. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here with you, Jen. I mean, we've had multiple conversations um, in the past few months, and I love that we're doing this just one-on-one -on -one, because I always have to share you with a bunch of people. Um, so, you know, I actually want to start with the title of your book. Um, it's Don't Ask Me Where I'm From, and I believe, like, this title signals to every person who's been asked this question over and over again. And I was wondering, can you share a moment in your life that stands out for you where you were asked this question? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love it. It's like deep dive. Let's just get <laughs> right into it. You know, like, don't ask me where I'm from. I mean, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've been asked this question. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and it really depends how it's asked because sometimes it's very genuine, like, Oh, you know, tell me more about where you're from or, um, but because I, I traveled a lot in my 20s, I was in like all over the world and people just couldn't pin me down. Like when I was studying abroad in Vietnam, people were like, oh, are you half French and half Vietnamese? When I was in Paris, people were like, oh, are you Algerian? You know, when I was in, in, in Guatemala, you know, people are like, you're not from here. <laughs> you know, it just was like every time I got a different, nobody could pin me down. And, um, and so, yeah, I was working at, on Cape Cod one summer and I was waitressing. I was the worst waitress on the planet. It's the only job that I did that summer that I just failed at. Anyway, so this couple um, was staring at me and I thought, oh, they need more milk for their coffee or something. So I went over there and they said, can we ask you something? You know, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I got it. What do you need? Equal packets, whatever. And then they said, where 
where are you from? We were just trying to, to, you know, we said Costa Rica. We just did a bird watching tour there. And we said, maybe she's from Costa Rica, but where are you from? And I was so taken aback. I was 19. I was very kind of just insulted. Like it, it felt so bizarre to me that they would have this whole conversation and talk about me like I was an object. Like, where is she from? Like we, anyway, that's a long-winded answer, but I just love that it's also a um, six word memoir. And so in the book, Liliana does a writing prompt where she has to come up with a six word memoir and, and that's hers. Don't ask me where I'm from. Yeah, I, I, I love the title because I feel like what it does is that it signals to the readers that you're trying to reach. You know, yeah. like you see it, at, you see it and you're just like, oh my God, I know this, I know this phrase, I know what it means. And I, I love the idea of the six word memoir as your title, I love it. Um, actually, I'm gonna, I actually was reading, um, your acknowledgements where you thank so many people that helped in your trajectory. And I want to go into your incredible travel life. Um, so I have two questions now that just came from this, but one is you thank Judy Levine because you said you wanted to go to Zimbabwe and she made it happen. And, you know, from my ex own experience and from talking to a lot of you know, undocumented and also immigrant young people who don't grow up with artists and, you know, or don't grow up. There's usually one person or a few people that go way out of their way to make this trajectory possible. So I want you to tell me about Zimbabwe. I already, like, I'm like, oh my God, I want to know about Vietnam. I want to know, like, I would just want to go to all these places. And I want to talk about, like, if you've thought about travel writing, since you travel and it's obviously you love it so much. And there's so few people of color that do travel, like that are published in travel writing. So it's like a, a real need, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like tell me about Zimbabwe as a young person and these, these people that went out of their way for you, kind of like in your book, your book is all of, about opportunity, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Without people going out of their way, there's no opportunity. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, um, you know, backing up a little bit both my parents are from guatemala and they moved here 50 years ago this year and they came to this country like many immigrants with you know like a suitcase and a bunch of wishes and desires to just you know let their children um really maximize opportunities that they didn't have and so travel was at the top of that list i mean education health all that but travel, my mom always said, like, I want you girls to just travel as much as you can, especially when you're young. And um, so that I always kind of kept that in my ear. And then when I was 16, I saw this flyer on the wall at, in the guidance uh, office at my high school. And it said like, interested in, in studying playwriting in Italy or volunteering in Africa, learn Spanish in Argentina, you know? And I'm like reading it like, yes, Yes, I want to do all those things. And I remember getting a quarter and putting it in the payphone, like an actual payphone, and calling this number. And this lady picked up Judy Levine. She's a real person. You know, she, she ran this, um, I guess I'd refer to it as a, a boutique agency that helps place teenagers in summer programs. So clearly, like for people with money who are looking to have their kids do thoughtful summer experiences but I didn't know I'm just like yeah I want to go to like Africa and so she said 
tell me about yourself. I can drop off some videos and meet with your parents. And, and I'm like, great, sounds great to me. And the program itself was $4,000 plus airfare, $2,000. Okay, I made like $8 an hour at the Gap. Okay, so I don't know how I was gonna pay for this, but I invited her to my parent, to my house. And I only told my parents like 20 minutes before she was coming. And my mom freaked out. She started vacuuming. My dad started putting like crackers and cheese on a plate. And they're like, la señora viene. Like this lady's coming over like to our house. It was a Saturday. And she like rolls up. She has all these glossy pamphlets. And she's like, yeah, it'll be $6,000 to go to Zimbabwe. And my parents were so polite and nodding. And she left and they were like, hell no. Like, are you crazy? Like, well, how are we going to come up with $6,000? And what are you going to be doing in Africa helping to build a medical clinic? Go help clean the bathroom. Like, you know, it was not like something that was even on their radar. But my entire community helped pitch in. I mean, even my dentist like donated money so that I could go. And I ended up going. And it was the formative experience of my, my adolescence. So I definitely feel like there's a YA book in there somewhere. But aside from that, it just ignited my obsession with traveling. And I majored in international relations. And it just kind of set the trajectory of, I guess, exploring and being curious and being an outsider. But Zimbabwe was, yeah, that was the first place I, I ever traveled to alone. Well, one thing, um, yes, I think there's a YA book there. <laughs> Yay! Um, but also, I think that like your book, Don't Tell Me Where I'm From, where it defies a lot of the, the stereotypes of Latinx parents, right? Where they're kind of like, you know, you're going to go to a school outside of the neighborhood. You're going to commute by yourself. I mean, my, when I wanted to go to a specialized high school um, back in the day, my mom was like, nope, you're not taking the train downtown. Right. in the community you're going to Catholic school in the community and it was a fight right but it feels like you were raised to go and really seize all these opportunities that are kind of scary I think when you're in a community that's very tightly knit yeah um to send your kids off to these countries and I feel like um I would love a YA book that way because I think it would teach both parents and young people about the possibility of not being afraid of being in other parts of the world. It's not like you're giving anything up. Right, you're right. Just adding stuff <laughs> to yeah. your existence. <laughs> and you could connect more. I, I connected more to my parents after that experience. Yeah, yeah. So I think like definitely that's a book that should be written. Um, you know, speaking of like how you've moved in the world, um, you know, your parents have been around for 50 years in, in, in the same city. Like were they always in the same place? Um, no, they were in LA first for a few years and then moved to, to the East Coast. So, you know, you said in an interview that you grew up in two worlds, not feeling like you belonged in either of them, um, which I think is a really typical experience for a lot of people that um, grew up with two different languages and two different like cultures inside their home. Um, have you found a place where you belong? Um, like when I say home, where's that for you now? Mm, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. Oh, wow. Um, you know, I know this sounds like so corny, but I feel, I feel at home when I'm writing. Like, I really do, because I have finally gotten to this point, and it's not like it's a static place, right? But I feel like I've finally gotten to the point where when I'm 
on the page. I'm allowed to and, and excited to encourage, encourage myself to write about, write the stories I've always wanted to write, but maybe didn't always have the courage to write. Um, I didn't know how to write them. I didn't feel like I had the authority to write them, you know, all these kinds of things. So I do feel at home on the page in that sense. Publishing is a whole different thing, you know, but the writing itself, I feel like, oh man, I'm finally, knock on wood, right? <laughs> like feeling pretty good, like when I, when I get to the page, like I have stories I want to write. Well, I think that it's mostly because we know in our own bodies that we're carrying all these different worlds. Yeah. But in the outside, it feels like people are asking us to simplify ourselves. Mm. So it's hard to feel at home as a complex being. <laughs> in right. a world that's constantly trying to simplify our identity, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, and I know that you speak a lot about that. Um, I, in, in thinking about this place, like, of writing, um, I know that you have said also, like, you didn't grow up reading books, seeing yourselves in them. When did your journey to become a writer then start it? What were, what were like, some of the things that you wrote that led you to this book, like, early, early on? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wrote, I wrote a lot of letters when I was younger, like, I, and I was always that girl writing notes and like putting them in lockers, you know, and, um, yep. <laughs> One time my mom, I made this list of, you know, friends that I had to write notes to, like, I just decided like, I'm going to write notes to her and then her and her. And my mom found it and she goes, I know you're not thinking about having a party. And I was like, I'm not having a party. And she's like, well, what is this list? Like, you're going to invite all these people over here? I'm like, oh my God, no, I'm writing notes to them. I was just like really into writing letters. And, and right before I would go to study abroad or would go on a trip, um, an internship, I would always, it was like a ritual, right? The night before I left, I would write handwritten letters to everyone mostly in my family, but like my really close cousins or my best friends. And it's just a lost art, you know, but I feel like that's where I started writing a lot, you know, um, in a way where I felt like I had a, a reader because writing in my journal was something I, I'd done since I was in middle school. But when you're writing a letter, you inherently have an audience, even if it's one person. So mm -hmm. I feel like things started to shift when I was doing that and and yeah so that's when it started I guess you know it's funny you say that because I actually I never thought of myself as a writer up until much later in my life mm -hmm. I wasn't one of these people that's like I've always wanted to be a writer like it was out, so outside of my imagination mm -hmm. but I do have um these composition notebooks where I would write letters to friends never send them but it was a way like I always directed what was happening to me towards somebody yeah. which now as a teacher I keep saying to my students who are you writing to uh -huh, uh -huh. a lot of times you're writing to this like vague mass and I'm like try to like hone in that story and figure out who you're writing to so your voice yeah. becomes more clear no yeah. like, doing that from the get writing these like letters <laughs> and no one ever reads you know that safe yeah. space. so I totally see how the letters um were seminal to like your work now, which, you know, I had seen that part of your research process, well, in particular, where you were in Guatemala, you said that you were interviewing people and looking at journals. Like, did you call a lot from those journals um, while working on this book? 
um, for, so I have, yes, the answer is yes. Um, what I did before I started writing was I looked at um, my journals from high school and cringed my whole way through re reading them. But I am telling you at, as like grammatically incorrect and as cliche as they were and, and all that, I was so brought back to the feelings of like, oh my God, like that age where it's like everything is high stakes. I'm like, how can you live like that? Like, thank God it's like such a short time in your life because I'm like, just reading these journals, like the pages of like, you know, is he going to call me back? Like these, these, you know, or meeting someone at the library was like an event, you know, like the, it just was so the dripping in drama. And I felt like, okay, I'm back in that headspace now. Um, mm -hmm. But I have an essay collection coming out in March and it's called white space. And it's about the white space of the page that a writer faces, but also my experience being in many white spaces where I'm the quote unquote other. And for that book, I definitely drew from my journals um, from living in, in Guatemala. And in some cases, some direct like excerpts from the journals are interspersed in the essays. You know, um, speaking of like, I'm so glad you brought up the essays because I was like, yes, I want you to tell people that you have an essay collection coming out. Um, but I was thinking about, um, you know, while I was reading your book, I felt like you really tapped into what it's like to be a teenager, kind of, uh, you know, I'm raising a tween. So when I see it in literature, I'm just like, there's a way like, yes, everything is high stakes, even the small things, like he didn't say hello. <laughs> so today, you're just like, maybe he didn't see you, you know, but like how that turns into a big thing. But also like, I wondered, what is a place in your book, like a scene or a character that you really struggled writing? Mm. Like your challenge, like, because I feel like there were things that were very accessible to you and maybe it's because you had all these notes, but what, what were the, what was the thing you struggled writing? Yeah. I always struggle with writing like the um, antagonists and kind of humanizing them. Um, and one, my editor helped a lot with that. Like there's a character in the book, Steve, who does some really mean stuff and spreads these racist memes and all this. And, um, you know, at one point my editor was like, you know, you maybe have to give him some redeeming trait or make him more rounded, you know? And my first reaction was like, no. I, I hate Steve, <laughs> you know, like, but it's like, all right, okay, like, you know, Steve is a, a real person in the, in the world of the book, and um, so then I realized, you know, she's right, it's like, even the, the students or the guys or the people that I've had bad interactions with in my life, like, do have life outside of that role, and so I gave him an interest in the environment, and he's part of the environment club. And at one point she bumps into him and they're going on a field trip to the marsh to like collect samples or something. I don't even know. But um, I felt like, okay, all right, Steve needs something like that. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, I think that in order for a reader to trust you mm. and trust that what you're saying about the characters that you wanted to depict as heroes, um, that they are actually heroes, you have to also depict the villains with 
a kind of complexity so they can trust you. And the truth is that who we see as villains could be someone else's hero, right? So right now I have a neighbor who is a Trump supporter, right? And she's this little lady who has a big Trump sign. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, she's my villain. You know, I created like a wall so I don't have to look at her sign, you know, and um, this division. And I'm like, but if I were to write this story, she would see herself at the as the hero. Mm. If I could write her in a complex way, right? So I think like that, thinking about the antagonist is usually the biggest struggle, but actually the reader, in order to trust us, has all the characters have, like none of us are good or bad or none of us are, right? right? Like we're all villains and we're all heroes in different contexts, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on who's saying what. So yeah, I totally see see that. Also, I think it gave you that opportunity to bring up the environment, right? Like in a way, like that struggle allows you to bring in topics you care about, right? Right. Everything to the main character. Yes, that's exactly right. (laughs) So um, I think like, again, it becomes like these, mo- like these mem- moments of difficulty become opportunities for us as writers. Yeah. So that's really cool. Um, so, you know, I wanted to know like, what was being that, you know, you, you were, you know, you were a public school teacher. You're now a teacher now, um, teaching in the university. What were, what was a formative class that you took in undergrad? Um, one that was like really like, important for you oh my god yeah there's just like so many i i was one of the, i love school like it's an unusual one an unusual one now are like huh that was actually more important than i thought for me yeah. you know um I, so basically i'm gonna try to tell this super short but basically i had an english professor who told my class that she could um, nominate one person for an internship at Ms. Magazine. And I'm like, wow, that's a big deal. Okay, yeah. So I went to her office hours and I asked her to nominate me. And I remember even like dressing up and going to ask her. And she just kind of was like, okay. And then I studied abroad in Vietnam and I, and I don't hear from her. And so then I get worried. So I email her like, what's going on with the internship and I'm still interested and she writes back and says that she cannot recommend me because in the email to her I split an infinitive and so I felt horrible ashamed you know like what was I thinking wanting that internship like I can't even write and then I was like wait a minute like I'm in Hanoi Vietnam like I'm 20 years old like not even, I think I was 19. I'm like, you know what? I can learn to finesse my grammar. And by the way, since then I've learned it's not a a rule. Yeah. So, um, but what I did was I asked my friend Jordana, I remember she was an English major. And I said, I want to write this reply, but I wrote it on yellow notebook paper. And I'm like, can you help me like edit it? And we're under the mosquito nets, like in Vietnam, like working on this. I go back to the internet cafe sign into my hotmail and like on the sticky keyboard like i write her back this like perfect response and i basically was like you have to recommend me because ms magazine needs my voice and they don't have latinas there and you know what like i can learn all these rules and everything but but they need to hear my perspective and then i was like sent and i was so scared she already said no so i was kind of like what do i have to lose 
And then she, um, and then you have to wait 24 hours because it's like a 12 hour delay. So the next day I go, 12 hour time difference. So I go back and I'm like, oh my God, she's gonna kick me out of school. And she didn't, she's like, you know what? You're right. I've never had a student take such authority over their own education and I will recommend you. So it ended up being a very, very formative experience like connected to the classroom. It's a longer story because then I realized it was an unpaid internship and I'm like, how am I supposed to live in New York City? Blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. But I ended up going, it's a longer story, but that, that was a real point of no return in my education. Mm. You know, I think about um, just listening to you now, but I know more about you because I've read about you, but like listening to you, I'm like, you have so many, um, experiences that could be told in novels, right? Like there's so much story in your life, right? Um, and one of the things that a lot of um, first novels do is that they try to put too much story, right? And I feel like basically you were really smart because now you have many more books that you can write because you, you have so much story. So I wonder like one, being that this is the novel that you chose to write now, um, you know, Grace Paley, do you read Grace Paley? Yeah, ages ago. Yeah. So anyway, so she, um, long time ago, I took a class with her and she said, you know, um, books, um, novels answer the question that you didn't even know you were asking, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you're basically not writing what you know, but you're writing what you want to know or into something you don't know, right? right. Like you're yeah. trying. So I'm curious, like, as far as a writer, like, you know, we start writing a novel, you know, I'm mentoring all these grad students and they're starting to write a novel and they have this idea about what their novel is going to look like. And, you know, I, I kind of like love the, the, the zeal and the energy that they have in their first ideas. But I know that the journey of the writer is that the novel never comes out <laughs> the way that you plan. So I'm curious, what um, is this novel your first intention? And if not, what changed? Yeah, um, you have such great questions and I honestly feel like I could talk to you forever. <laughs> I'm so grateful you're doing this interview yeah. because it feels so natural and easy and you've just been like my idol forever. So I'm also like, ah! Um, <laughs> but okay, that's an aside. But also, I mean, it's true. It's like, okay, so Liliana is 15 and part of me is like, oh, maybe I'll write her when she's 16, when she's 18, going to college, when she's in college, whatever. Um, but then, but then you're right. There are other stories I want to write, other topics and characters. It's definitely not the first novel I ever wrote. Um, the first novel I attempted writing was about um, beer girls. You know, girls who um, like wear the Corona outfits or like Heineken or whatever. And so in other countries, this is kind of like a coveted job. And so when I was in Vietnam, there was like the Carlsberg girls, the Tiger Beer girls, and same thing in Nigeria and in Mexico. And so I wrote a novel, started to write a novel about th three points of view of beer girls all around the world. But it was like, so what? <laughs> like, what about them? Like, there was no plot, like there was no real tension. Um, you know, and then in, in grad school, I started writing a novel based on um, the short story that I wrote for One City, One Story, Eduardo and Linda. He wants to move back to Guatemala and she never wants to go back. 
So I felt like, okay, all right, now I'm getting the intention, you know, um, but that book never sold, you know, so I felt like, okay, I, I guess I'll, I'll work on another book. And I, I just wish like pe more people had told me how many novels you keep in the drawer or in Microsoft Word before your debut novel sees the light of day. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Maybe I'll go back to some. I love that you actually say it, right? Because I think that there is a myth making that comes with writing where people get debuted and everyone's like, wow, like this, yeah. is, you know, and I think that the reality of it is that most writers either take a long time working on one novel that is actually many novels <laughs> that yeah. you've written and rewritten, or you, you know, you just put them in a drawer, right? And suddenly those stories come back. And I feel like um, I'm glad that you are open about that because I think that's the reality of it. Um, you know, I wanna talk about the ending of your book. Um, since we're in the realm of like choices that we make as writers. So I love like that moment when, you know, the father is returning and, and he's telling, and they really wanna know what the story was like, like getting across. Mm -hmm. And he has that moment where he talks about the little boy who's like, mañana cumplo seis. Oh my God, that was such an emotional kind of rocker. I was like, okay. <laughs> like I really felt suddenly that thing be very real. Mm -hmm. But then I also, um, I loved how you wrapped up the ending of the story with, you know, her seeing like the wall come down and then realizing that you know, it was to be because someone was writing a story. And then she says this thing, so many stories inside of them, inside us, inside the space, um, which invites really the reader to think about, again, the complexity of our community and all the many stories that we have to tell. But I'm curious if you had an alternate ending, like how did you get to this ending? Because my experience in writing is that when you start working with editors, they're just like, ah, no, you know, and you have to really like fight for your ending. So I'm wondering like, what was your experience about how to end a book, this book? Yeah, I mean, the, um, the architecture of the, the draft that she bought, I guess, that manuscript um, stayed pretty much the same. It was more like she really went to town with the interior decorating kind of thing. So like the first scene, is the first scene. The last scene is the last scene um, in the writing center. Um, but within each scene, she, well, she did cut a bunch in the middle um, and throughout for pacing. We killed some characters, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then, but she just had me really go deeper. And so for instance, like in this final scene, I have Liliana in the writing center and she, you know, clears her throat to go up to read. And my editor was like, oh, I like ending here, but um, it's a little too on the nose, you know, like if we end with her at the mic, it's like, mm -hmm. hello, like themes in the book, themes in the book, you know, like flashing lights, like you're blinded. So instead she's like, you know, what if we just kind of turn the camera and and land on the the snacks at the tape on the table. Mm -hmm. Like, what? I've never thought of that, you know. And she's like, there are bagels and empanadas, and the empanadas are the ones that are all gone. Mm -hmm. And like, let that sit with the reader. And what is that saying, you know? Um, 
So I, I like that she pushed me to, like I said, go deeper, but not necessarily change the architecture that was already there. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's very filmic, <laughs> which I like. <laughs> I thought, oh, I could really see this. It was great. Um, actually, thinking about that. So I know that the journey, obviously, we've been talking about it, um, to write this book was very long. Now that it's in print, right? Like, I think part of it is like, getting the book ready to get published, getting the book. Now you're like on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, what have you discovered and what do you wish you would have known? It's so crazy. I can't believe I'm on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Some days I'm like, my book is coming out. Oh wait, it's already out. You know, like, and um, I don't know. It's just, it feels surreal to want something for so long. And then it happens. I definitely had, as I shared with you, um, like some of the book birthday blues a little bit, or, or it just kind of like the, it's like a wedding, you know, the expectation is so high that it happens. And then you're like, okay. Um, luckily I've had lots of events and conversations and, and I'm able to like kind of keep the party going. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's still, it's weird. It's like, you're, you're, you can't change the story. Like I can't edit it anymore. And, um, if I get an email from someone who read it, I just, I'm like, you read it. Like, oh my God. Like, and I'm like, what did I expect them to do? Like you wrote it so they would read it. Like, but it still makes me like giddy. I don't know. But you also have said that you wrote this book for the young version of you. Right. So I'm, have there been any surprising responses from young people? Oh my God. Yeah. On Instagram, mm -hmm. you know, they'll like DM me and, and say like, Oh my God, my parents are from Central America or something like very simple, you know, and, and how they connect. And then we just like share emojis of us crying like back and forth. Like, you know, <laughs> I've never met this person. And, but it's really cute too. Like, I'm not saying that in a patronizing way. It's just sweet how they like glam up. Um, I don't even know what it's called. Like, but they'll make a story or a post and like they'll match their nails to the cover and like post a picture. And I'm like dying. Like, I'm like, thank you so much. It's crazy. Right. You know, it's actually huge, right? The books that we read as teens and how the books are really seen as like rafts at that time yeah. of your life, right? It's not, one, you're being forced to read, but then the books that you find that you actually even want to write to an author about, <laughs> I think mm -hmm. it's a huge, huge deal. Um, what were some books that rocked your world when you were a teen? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, I read this book because I was in Zimbabwe. This is by a Zimbabwean author, and the book is called Zenzili, and it's called Zenzili, A Letter to My Daughter. And the whole book is a letter from a fictional mother to her daughter who is um, leaving Zimbabwe to go study at Harvard. It's a gorgeous book. And um, even though this mother-daughter pair was in, in Africa, I felt for the first time like so connected. Like they, it could have been my mother and me, you know, like, and if not that I went to Harvard, you know, but it felt like, she was sending me off and the book, the letter, the book is like a long love letter of advice and stories. And that's how my mom talks. She talks in stories. So I just love that book. You know, I should return to it and reread it and, and see what it brings up. But 
Um, and then in college, I didn't read a uh, Latina author until I was a freshman in college. You know, my, my freshman English course, uh, House on Mango Street was on there. And I remember being like, oh, this is kind of short. Okay. Like, you know, <laughs> and then I started reading it and I'm like, I, I couldn't believe it when I saw Spanish on the page. Mm -hmm. I, I felt like I have never had that feeling before. It's like home was at school. Mm -hmm. And that was really unique. That was new to me because they were always separate worlds. Even mm -hmm. if my mom came to school, you know, it was like, okay, like my mom is coming here, but now she's leaving. You know what I mean? It wasn't like they were yoked together. And in this way, for the first time, I, I felt that way. Like I had to write a paper on it. And I'm like, what? You know, when I read Santa Cisneros, I was in college too. And I was like, oh my God, it's so short. I could write this. <laughs> wow, it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So simple, but you know, I had to reread that book. I had to introduce her to something a long time ago. And I, but when I reread it, like with the consciousness of what it takes to write, I said, oh, no, there's, a, there's a lot of subversive stuff going on in that book that yeah. when you read the first time, you kind of miss. Yep. You know, I think for a lot of people, um, so yeah, Sandra was huge because I love the way you said, um, home is inside this, what I always saw as a white space. Mm -hmm. I would say university is a white space, school yeah. is a white space, you know, or the people in power were always white, right? And suddenly the people in power are the people who write the books, the people in power. And then suddenly you have someone that's closer to your life experience and you're just like, holy shit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it kind of is earth shattering. Um, I have one more question, but um, do we have questions at, from the audience? We don't currently have questions, but we do have a comment, Jen, from our friend Kathy Elsick, that she is on board for the Beer Girl book. So, oh. if, and I am too. So we could be like a book club, your your inaugural like Beer Girl book club. So. Oh, that's great. This is so affirming. I'm like, I got to write that book. I'm going to write that book. It's an awesome, it's an awesome idea. So yes, so we don't yeah. have any, any other <laughs> questions. And a lot of comments but not questions so no i was actually thinking i was like that seems really interesting to me i wonder like yeah. if now everything you know about plot you probably mm -hmm. could i mean turn yeah. that story into something you know um yeah that yeah. more interesting to you but i'm curious about what is your next book i know you have the book of essays but that was written so what is the thing that you're most excited about now that you are putting out into the world soon yeah, so Jane knows. I'm excited to hear this because she's read a hundred pages of it. Um, mm -hmm. We we were in a class with Jenna Blum um, at Grub Street at Creative Writing Center, and so um, it's another YA novel, and it it tells the story of um, a teen, sixteen year old this time named Maya, and she th this novel takes place in Guatemala and. Um, she's really into uh, trashing, which is like fashion, but made out of trash. So like taking, you know, recycling materials and everyday materials and making art out of them. Anyway, she um, and her mother uh, are pressured out of the, the city they live in um, because of the gangs. And so it, the book kind of takes off and it's more... Um, more fast paced than I guess what I'm used to writing. And then they make it to the border and then they're separated. And Maya has to decide whether to, um, to 
to basically go into the United States alone um, or go back with her mother. And that's, that's what I have so far. I don't know, Jane, does that sound right? That sounds right. Yeah. Also, it's really good. I mean, it's really compelling and the characterizations are great. The, yeah, I, I can't wait to read the whole thing when it's done. Be I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. Jen, this is amazing. I'm so happy that your book is in the world and oh, all the readers that are fortunate to find it. So, yes. Oh, thank, you. thank you, Angie, for leading the way. You know, I really feel like it's so important for us to have, like, like what is that beautiful quote that, like, a candle doesn't lose light by lighting another candle? Mm -hmm. And to me, you embody that. You know, like, you're so generous and so giving and, and a candle yourself, you know? And it's just like, your work helps us. It's true. Your work helps us feel like I could do it too, you know? And, and I can be in the world and be teaching and mothering and writing and mentoring. And it's like, you get to have all the pots on the stove and it's a beautiful thing because there aren't that many of us, you know? And it's just so critical to, to light those candles for each other you know, because it, it's hard. It, 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 it's fun and exciting and all that, but it, it's also really hard at times, you know? And so um, Angie has created this incredible space where like Latina authors get together on Zoom and, and we talk and share and laugh. And it's just so important to have those, those spaces. So, so thank you. Thank you. That's wonderful. And yes, thank you both so much for, for being here today and, and taking part in this conversation. It was wonderful to, li to listen to and, and eavesdrop on. So thank you both. Thank you, Angie. And did you get a chance to hold up your copy of Dominicano and make sure you get some screen time there? Yes, that's it. Yes, Angie. I think. Is it backwards? Oh, no, no, no. It's, yeah, it's, it's, we have the mirror effect on, so it's frontwards. We can all see it. Yep, I remember that cover from when it came out and thinking it was so striking. But yes, that's Angie's latest book, which uh, you can find on our bookshop.org link, which is in the comment thread. Um, although, Angie, I forgot to ask if you have a, do you have a bookstore that has signed copies or that you want to give a shout out to? Yes, um, I have signed copies right now at Word Up Bookstore, community bookstore in New York City. Okay, awesome. So Word Up is another place to check it out. And then Jen's book, um, if you're in the Boston area, you can get signed copies at Brookline Booksmith, um, which is an awesome store, or The Booksmith, as we call it. And, um, and you can also find them online at uh, bookshop.org. So thank you both of you so much for being here. Congrats again on Don't Ask Me Where I'm From. And uh, we all of us at the Mighty Blaze wish you the best of luck with it. Thank you, Almighty Blaze. Yay. <laughs> Thanks to you both. So long. Thank you for joining us. I'm Trisha Blanchett for a Mighty Blaze podcast. We'll see you next time for a conversation with Leslie M.M. Bloom about her nonfiction blockbuster, Fallout. Until then, keep your blaze burning and your pages turning. <laughs>